Hello, I'm Stephanie Belcher. And I'm Del Belcher, and you're listening to Two, two Peas in a podcast, podcast, a relationship show from two people who like each other very, very, very much. Do I normally say that part? It's I don't remember. This is our 106th episode. I don't remember either. And the last few times we've said it together, and we've messed it up a lot. So I feel that really it's whatever you want it to be. Yeah. We can do it however. It's our podcast. For sure. The sky is the limit. There is no end (laughs) to what we can do. But Stephanie, how are you today? I am good. Oh, I just yeah. got back from a homeowners association meeting, Ooh. and then we were talking about shed approval and lighting. Oh, how do we get a shed? They're going to send us the document that outlines everything. Oh. It's very interesting. Lighting. Stuff. Tell me about the lighting. That's oh, they want to get. They're in, they're looking into how much it would cost to get lights for the neighborhood, like street lights. Yeah, because right now you drive into our neighborhood. This is like the most like. <laughs> Banal? Is that a good word? Yeah. Banal? This is the most banal. At the entryway, there's a little garden thing, so they talked about upkeep. Okay. I found out two things that are vital. What? We have some really kind neighbors. I didn't realize how much extra little things they were doing Mm -hmm. for us, and I thought that was really nice. Hmm. And then I also realized... I don't know when you reach peak adult, but I feel like an HOA may... (laughs) Meeting is basically graduation walk. Like you have finally yeah. made it. Well, and I start. I've started doing crossword puzzles. Oh, you're doing HOA. We we are like the but we're like the cool adults, right? Sure. We're the were we the cool adults? Did you just look up from your crossword puzzle to tell me that? <laughs> oh, yes, man. I need a uh, four letter word starting with L that stands for not cool. oh man but well thank you for taking the uh taking the taking the team taking the bullet for the team and going to the meeting you're welcome i stayed home with the baby and um it was good good well good job steph um so this is two peas in a podcast and we got two segments the second segment that i'll do in a bit is the split we're going to take a relationship article torn from the headlines We did, for the last three weeks, a three-part special on magical ways that you can feed babies. Mm -hmm. Uh, This time, we're going to switch from that, and we're going to talk about men. Men. Men, 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 men. similar to babies, need a lot of of care and affirmation. (laughs) You have to water them frequently. You have to water them like a baby. Uh, But before we get to that... Our very own Delbert Belcher the Fourth, George Delbert Belcher the Fourth. Uh oh, my secret's out. <laughs> is going to do his segment, Better Half, where we talk about the better half of someone's relationship. So that's going to be a partner who you may not know anything about from a famous person. A famous person, person of interest, person from history, notorious person. Notorious. Ooh, yes. It could be like Al Capone's wife did he have a wife when you said notorious i thought al capone's wife and then i thought that we, our, tra- our brains went to the same <laughs> he's the only notorious person that i know here are the trains that we went down notorious same train 
And then we went to Al Capone. Mm-hmm. And then we went to <laughs> Al Capone's why. wife. And then we went to, does he have a wife? <laughs> well, I'm going to add him to the list. I'm going to Google Write that down. Al Capone. Al, no, not write it his down. Wife. His wife. So I can do that one maybe next time. Um, but yeah, two peas in a podcast. And I've got the better half. But uh, right before I get to there, uh, first of all, thanks for listening to our show. And... Stephanie, are you subscribed to our show? Yeah. You should subscribe. We are on all of the podcast places. I did. I do think we did switch server services. So now we're on Anchor.fm, which is a really great uh, company that has been very good to work with. The one issue is that if you had subscribed to us before, you might need to like unsubscribe and resubscribe just to refresh the link. But if you're listening to this, then you probably are good. And if you didn't, you're not hearing this, and I guess it doesn't matter. And, but <laughs> And we switched over to them. They're real easy to use. They're they free. go to everything, and they're free. They're very free. They're very free. So we're on Anchor. We're also on iTunes and all the podcast <gasps> places. He did have a wife. Ooh. Ooh. Al Capone had a wife. It's not Ooh. iTunes. It's Apple Podcasts. Anyway. What was yes. her name? May Coughlin. May Coughlin. Anyway. Mm, well, we'll do that next. maybe next time. Maybe mm. we'll see. It's up to you. But anyway, thanks for listening, and we're going to be... Kicking. Oh my gosh. No, don't. Okay, I'm going to stop reading about her. I'm going to stop reading about her. I was already on Wikipedia. Don't get off yes, my okay. thing. Okay. Cool. I'm already excited for that one. Okay. Well, this week, we're going to get back in the Wayback Machine <laughs> to a long, long time ago. A man named Nelson Davis. Nelson Davis, he was a slave in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And he likely escaped, though, through the Underground Railroad in 1861, possibly on the Pasquatonic River in the Great Dismal Swamp. There's this place in North Carolina called the Dismal Swamp, which apparently it's a very swampy, swampy area that's terrible. It sounds terrible. Yes. There's a lot of history from that area. They're pirates because it was just like a terrible place that no one wanted to go to. Jeez. That was a long time ago. In the pirates er- on a swamp. How low can you get? <laughs> Where are you a pirate? I'm a pirate a swamp. A swamp. <laughs> But we're not talking about them today. We're talking about <laughs> Nelson Davis. Now, before his escape, it's believed that he was known as Nelson Charles, and he worked as a slave for the Charles family mm. in Elizabeth City. But he didn't want to be called a Charles, so he changed his last name to Davis. That was his father's last name. After, that was, so he changed that after he escaped. So okay. he's it. escaped. He's, on, he's running free. He's headed up north. Um, so there is some information that's confirmed this. Uh, there's census records from the 1850s showing that this George Charles slave owner guy had a bunch of slaves, including a couple that were to have been the age of Davis at the time. So there's confirmation that he's from this area so that he was. How interesting is it that in part of the census, it was, I'm guessing it was in your household, how many slaves do you have mm-hmm. or something like that? Mm-hmm. First off, that sucks. Yeah. Also, it's interesting that they have the record just so we can know mm-hmm. about some of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, so there's, there are his, these historical records of, yeah. of him, which is, pretty, okay. which is pretty interesting. Davis then, though, served as a Union soldier in the Civil War. Yeah. So fighting for the North and fought in several battles. So he's the vet, war vet, saw some battles, saw some action before being discharged in Texas at the end of the Civil War. So in uh, 1869, the funniest year, uh, Davis made his way to Auburn, New York, where he ended up staying at a boarding house run by a famous former slave and abolitionist. Mm. Would you like to guess who that is? Harriet Tubman. Hey, you're right. Harriet Tubman. Now, Tubman was about 22 years older than uh, Nelson. Oh, yeah. But they fell in love. 
Harriet got game. <laughs> and, what? Uh, and and then later that year, I read this and it said they met in 1869, and later that year they got married. Later that year was March, so, so it's like oh, what? So that, that, that was them. they moved quick. They got married at the uh, Central Presbyterian Church, um, and after that they ran a seven-acre farm and a brick business. Oh, that's it, cool. I had no. I. I mean, I guess you never think about any. I never thought about it. I never thought about that. Um, they they never had any children of their own. But in 1874, they adopted a baby girl named Gertie. And actually, there is a photo in existence of the three of them together, which oh, is that's cool to me. That's crazy, because as far as I know, photography not not too great. In well, in the history of the world, photography is fairly recent. Yeah. And I guess that uh, I mean, in the late 1800s or. There would have been some photography. And there is. Yeah. I actually saw it. It's on the internet. There's a pig- picture of Abraham Lincoln. Whoa. He was 1860s. That's crazy. That's Now that's crazy. But so there's a picture of the, of the three of them together. So they had the adopted daughter. Uh, the couple were married for 20 years before Davis died of tuberculosis Aww. in 1888. Isn't that consumption? Tuberculosis? Doesn't he call that consumption? I think so. So he died. In 1888. But we're gonna we're gonna take a take a step back from Davis yes. for a minute, just to kind of give you some context. Davis was actually Harriet's second husband. She had married her first husband, John Tubman. And the interesting story there is that they had both been quote married by their slave owners, um, and then John was set free, and then Harriet later escaped. But then when she found John Tubman, he had uh, remarried somebody else, mm. and so she was like. I'm out of here. And then John was later, it says, killed in a dispute. That was that was what I found. It's so interesting. I have no clue the context of any of that, so I have no judgment. I don't mm-hmm. know if forced. I know nothing about all that. And It's very yeah. interesting. Killed and just because in- she was going back by him doesn't mean it was some... Yeah, and we don't know the story. It, it could just be, oh, this guy I know. It, it one one thing I read said that their marriage wasn't even like a legal thing. It was more because of the slave owners were just like, you two are married now, and that was just kind of it. So, yeah. and then he was set free. She escaped, went to find him, and he had, you know, yeah, gone. Well, I gone mean, his own way. Yeah, so, I have, n- I know none of the context. It's interesting though. Very interesting. So we're gonna get back to Nelson Davis, who. The reason why I thought he would be extra interesting is because he is actually the center of some new research that's underway. Oh, really? So a Tubman biographer, Kate Clifford Larson, and Underground Railroad researcher and advocate, Wanda Hunt-McLean, are seeking out more information about Nelson Davis. They are especially interested in details about his youth as a, um, from when he was younger as a slave in the Charles family in Elizabeth City. So there's not a lot that's known about him, but they're doing a lot of research right now to kind of piece together um, what he was all about. So what? So is it social research? Just kind of hist- historical, oh, okay. historical research about him as a as a as a, his own person, you know. Interesting. Uh, so Larson and Hunt McLean are attempting to find more documentation of Davis or Tubman in North Carolina. Um, and among their other efforts, they plan to search records at Livingston College in Salisbury, mm. which was founded by Joseph Prince, which they think would be extra helpful because he was an African-American also from Elizabeth City. So, oh, yeah. Probably some records or mm-hmm. tracking or yeah. something. Or just some sort of connection somewhere. So based on a study from Congress, the National Park Service, using this research, could establish more uh, Tubman sites Um so like the farm and the brick making business, but they hope that more details on Davis life would enhance 
you know, not only his own history, but uh, abolitionist history um, and just kind of American history in general, just because of I'd his, be uh, the part that he played. Understanding more. Yeah, the part he played in Tubman's life. So Larson says it would be great to report his story. He has such a great history of his own to document. So he is sort of this kind of peripheral character in the history of abolition and the history of of America who seemed to have a good impact on here at Tubman's life. And uh, again, as with a lot of slaves of that time, there was not a lot of good records that were kept. So they're trying to piece those things together. Kind of um, it's it's weird because you're not like recreating history, but you're creating History. Well, you are, yeah, you're when you take a bunch of records and create something new, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to me when there's beautiful. like there's always history, but then there's there can be new things discovered, and it kind of changes some stories and can make things really cool and interesting. And I feel that anything we can do to sort of clarify and uh, make more known the story of the abolitionists and the Underground Railroad and you know um, equality for people, I think that's really really cool. And so I'm glad that they're looking into Nelson Davis. And um, this was a little bit shorter. <laughs> because well, nobody knows anything there. about them, really. Uh, but yeah. Well, whenever they get that research done, maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years, we'll have to find it and follow up and do segment two. I would like to do that. Put him under Al Capone's wife, and yes. uh, we'll maybe get to him you know, maybe Later. in the next next batch of episodes or something. Yes, please. So that's Nelson Davis is on the better half. So that's that's what I found about him. thought it was cool. Well, you said thought it was cool, so you know what that means. <laughs> the split, where we take a relationship article torn from the headlines and talk about it. Now, I had just eaten some peanuts before we recorded, and when we did that sound effect, I think I've got peanuts stuck in my microphone. It's kind of sorry about You're that. You're picking it out. <laughs> okay, the split. You said that you had something really, really great before we recorded. Yeah, and I mean, you, I... you always do. This one, when I was reading it, made me cry in a good way. So it's going to start off heavy and then hopefully get a little bit better. But it was inspirational to me and I kind of got some ideas from it. You also sent me a link that, and you you, you don't do this a lot, but it said, put this up with the web, with the episode. And I didn't look at it. I didn't look at it because I didn't want to spoil anything. This is going to have a resource at the end for people. So if you're interested in let this inspire you and bring good into the world, we're going to help you do that. Awesome. So the title of this article is Men Have No Friends and Women Bear the Burden. Okay. Yes. That sounds... I'm I'm intrigued. It's from Harper's Bazaar and written by Melanie Hamlet, and it came out May 2nd, so it's real new. Mm -hmm. But two people shared this article. I got one on Facebook, and then one of my friends sent it to me. Oh, really? So that was definitely God's way of saying, take this opportunity Mm -hmm. to talk about this. Okay. The article goes on to say that... I think we've talked about this before because we covered the APA's new guidelines for men Mm -hmm. around psychiatry and psychological treatment. And then we've talked about some research on this. Mm -hmm. Men and men with friends tend to not die as early. We've done that. That's right. We also covered that. So we've talked about this in other ways, but I like how this one ends. So are you trying to hint that I need more friends? Honey, I feel like you, I read this and thought you have a pretty decent social network. Okay. There's other men, though, that have been taught, unfortunately, 
not to relate to traits such as being gentle or sensitive. Mm. And so what tends to happen to some men is for tools to express their emotion, they have really limited options. And two of those are anger or frustration. Yeah. But then the support that men tend to lean on the most is, and this is heterosexual relationship specific, their partners. Yes. So they tend to rely on their wife, their girlfriend, their significant other. And so women, conversely, in platonic relationships, women are really taught to have better support. Women are taught to have friends. We're taught to go out and have all of these different groups. So women usually have a lot more emotional support and really good social networks. It, it does seem like that when you take a step back and look at kind of the, you know, the, the, the construction that we have created on how men and women are socialized as children is that women are taught to be like more collective and more interdependent yeah. and men are supposed to be tough and unemotive and kind of this lone wolf kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And what, we're finding because men aren't getting the social support they need is that women are increasingly doing emotional labor for not just their partners, but kind of for everyone. <laughs> oh no. By the way, I did one of my first research papers on emotional labor, Dif different conceptually from this article, but Arlie Hochschild, UC Berkeley, mm. you should look it up. Okay. Well, I, anyway, I will. Well, good job. Babe. Sorry. I couldn't I help myself. I'm like, I'm, oh, emotional labor. I I'm know this very one. proud of you. And we've done ones in the, it's interesting because you say that women in these heterosexual, heteronormative relationships that not only are women doing more of the emotional lifting relationally for the men, but then they're also doing like most of the housework, regardless of if they're working or not. So it's almost like women are just working overtime, extra drive. Well, this article uses emotional labor and to be a critique, they use it incorrectly, but they also use it correctly at the same time. I don't hmm. think they use, if they were to use it correctly, it's actually better than they think because emotional labor is really someone, so emotional labor is the idea that you as a person can create and harvest an emotion in someone else. Mm -hmm. And the labor part of it is that someone's paying you to do that. Okay. And so the idea is you are capitalizing on someone else's emotional ability, but for them, that can be really draining and detrimental to them. Mm -hmm. And there's examples like waitresses. Waitresses okay. have to be nice to someone and smile. Mm -hmm. And there was some research that came out a few weeks ago that said that the more you have to fake smile and the faker you are, the more depressed you are. <laughs> you, oh, really? Anyway, so women, the article didn't use it in that context, but women are increasingly doing more and more of that labor within their own social network, specifically with their partner. Wow. Okay. However, the difference is women are also taught to read books, listen to podcasts, and find a lot of other resources for their emotions. But men are taught just to turn to their spouse. And sports. Yes. And beer. And beer. And that... Both of those things, they're draining to women, but they're also really draining to men. Yeah. I feel that because men and women aren't so different to where the way that women need to connect emotionally is that different than how men need to. It's just we're socialized differently, right? Correct. Okay. The other thing is what another thing that happens is that for a lot of women, our egos and our self-worth 
end up being caught up or wrapped in and being our spouse's crutch. Mm. If your spouse yeah. isn't turning to you, like, are you any good? And oh, they get okay. their support from me. So it's creating almost like a fake sort of men are doing this and it's unhealthy. But if they're not doing it, then you're unhealthy. Yeah. And so it's a it's a cycle. Yes. And men are also taught that a lot of people are taught that seeking therapy is a form of weakness. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of that stigma. Yeah. So many men have no way at all then to address feelings like anger, irritability, or aggression. They're really just left with a big bundle of feelings and nowhere to put them. Social media. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You're totally right. That's That's where they put it. The comment section. The comment oh. section. If you ever see a guy whose avatar in a comment section is him with sunglasses and a baseball cap, stay away. You know, we got this is making me have a lot more empathy for them because really, that's they sad. No, they have no other outlet except yeah. for their their partners who are probably burnt out. And now the internet just gets both barrels of their emotions. So the article then puts another term for this phenomena. And I think I'm going to butcher a word, so go with me. Mm-hmm. Normative male alexithemia. Whoa, that's a big one. And I looked up a definition of this. It was just, uh, I found it in psychology today, I think. But they define that as the traditional masculine role, socialization channels. Wait, I'm reading this incorrectly. Traditional masculine role. Listen, I'll give you grace because that's a lot of words. (laughs) (laughs) Traditional masculine role socialization channels, so the way men are socialized, um, channels many men into ways of being such that their masculine identity conflicts with many emotions they feel and what they feel they are allowed to express. And what's, okay, so what's crazy about this is that the, the reason is because there is this fear of as a as a teen or a kid of being like called like gay or something yeah which in itself is crazy because they're just assuming that being gay or having some other non-normative you know identity is bad and wrong and and weird and you get you get made fun of for that so there's this threat of of your this other thing and so you're not one and it's just like it all stems from this fear of something that you shouldn't even really be afraid of it's, it's crazy to me. My mind is just blown just thinking about it. So this normative male word I butcher, what happens then is it ends up creating a lot of strain and problems in couples' relationships. I, I, I could see that. Because both partners are overburdened mm-hmm. and not getting what they need. And it's almost just because there's like a communication channel that's not there. For men, yeah. Yeah. So... The article goes on to say that therapy can be very expensive, which is why a lot of people mm-hmm. don't do that. Yeah. And in a lot of communities, there's not enough behavioral health resources. Mm-hmm. And that, unfortunately, couples therapy is not covered by a lot of insurance providers. Oh. However, you can go privately and say, I want my spouse to be there. <laughs> you could do that. Wink, yeah. wink, nudge, nudge. So one solution that more people are turning to formally and informally is group therapy. Group therapy. Okay. Now, what would that look like in this situation? So first I have some stats, and then we're going to dive into that. Because I feel like the stats couch this in its importance. 
So 5% of men get outpatient mental health services. Not a lot. That's that's not a lot of men. No. And this is a British study, not an American one. However, in Britain, 2.5 million men, which is a lot. There's 300 million people in America. There's probably not that many in Great Britain. 2.5 million men said that they had no close friends. I, be- I believe it. I would... I don't know the data, but I would venture to guess that that's true for a lot of I men. I feel like most guys have like pals or bros or friends that they, you know, will talk to and hang out with. But I feel like if it's dug into that emotional connection, yeah, uh, it's pro- I would, I, it could even be more, uh, I mean, a, a lower percent, you know. And then, not surprisingly, men conceal pain and illness at higher rates than women. Mm-hmm. And men are, very sadly, three times more likely than women to commit suicide. Wow. The stats aren't great. So what we really need to do is find different ideas to kind of help men out. Because what's happening now isn't working. Yeah. I, I would agree with that statement. So the solution that the article points to is men's support groups. Okay. So that's the link that I sent you. Oh, okay. There is a free article online. So if you wanted to set up your own men's group, Mm -hmm. you totally can. Really? You can do this. And so the article talks about, gives a few examples of a guy that started his own group. Okay. So here's some of the guidelines for how he did it and how it could be done. Awesome. So it was this one guy and he made a group and asked eight men to be in it. Okay. And eight is an important number. Del and I have run some small groups. Eight's a, that's the number I would probably shoot for between mm-hmm. like six and ten because mm-hmm. it's enough to have close relationships and healthy discussion. Right. And then you can even branch off into like subgroups yeah. too exactly. of like three or four and no one's feeling left out. It's, it's small enough to be close, but big enough to be still comfortable. Yeah, because some days so-and-so will be the right person to talk to, mm-hmm. and other days another person might be a yeah. better person It's also to talk enough to. if a person or two can't come, you still have like a, ma- a group of that can actually talk and do stuff. So did eight men, and then the group started with very clearly defined boundaries for what they wanted. Okay. And the format of the group I thought was really interesting. The first thing they did for the first few minutes was start with meditation. Whoa. I know. I read Whoa, that. Whoa, not what I was thinking. And so, like, I could see that being a hard sell for some people in the Midwest, but maybe it could be something like that. Prayer group, silent time, reflection, mm-hmm. meditation. You could just call it something else. Mm-hmm. But the first few minutes are just to Quiet kind of calm down. thinking. I think the real goal of that is just for the first few minutes, come in and chill. I think because a lot of times you come in and you get real amped up and then yeah. you just want to kind of go off and maybe you need to, but I, I do feel like kind of getting everybody on the same base level. Like I, I that is kind of, I if that, you're doing this intentionally, I think that's really important. And then they had discussion and I'll go through the discussion points that they did. But another boundary that they had is in that group, all men are allowed to cry. Oh. And another rule that they had is you're not allowed to use words like... If you're listening with little kids, block this for 10 seconds. You're not allowed to call people a pussy or like a wiener or say anything demeaning like that. Okay. Clearly outlawed. Wow. I thought that was fantastic. That is fantastic. And then the discussion in the group, they taught guys in the group to start off by saying, here's what I'm struggling with. Okay. And then they'd have to talk about it. Wow. 
And then the group in interacting, we're teaching each other different definitions of manhood. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like there's the one definition that everyone knows about, but there's so many others and it can be so different for every person. That's really good and freeing because I feel like every man does their own Thing. thing. But we're still all trying to do a one thing. Like we all feel that this is one ideal. Yeah. So to, to to have that freedom, I think, is very healthy. And I agree with you. I think having the ability to have different definitions. Mm-hmm. And everything that's shared in the group is confidential. So not sharing it with other people. And that's the basic format of the group. I think that's it. That sounds really good. Uh, so the <clears throat> article goes on to close on a few points that wraps it all together. And of course, they talk about Brene Brown. Of course. So Brene Brown is a really popular researcher now. I feel that there's a new law that I've heard of where you're not, you can't actually be a podcast if you don't bring her up every five I episodes. I think that, that that's true. If you haven't, if you don't know who <laughs> Brene Brown is, Google it. She's really good. Like, yeah, I'm she's not really being good. like, not being like salty about anything, but it's just kind of, it's just kind of funny. Like. Everybody talks about her so much. Uh, So then Brene Brown in one of her books talks about toxic masculinity. And we've talked about Mm -hmm. that too. And says that shame is the biggest cause of toxic masculinity. Hmm. And what causes that shame is that men tend to feel shame when they show signs to other people of being weak. Yes. Um. And what differentiates men from women here is that women tend to feel shame when they fail to meet unrealistic expectations. Mm -hmm. So this whole cycle that we talked about in the beginning of the article where if women can't meet your needs and men feel like they can't show any weakness, you're both... We're like in a whirlpool of shame, babe. So that's where this group idea comes in. And I'm going to actually close on the article's conclusionary final last the last quote in the article because i thought it was really good (laughs) the conclusion quote from the article our culture pits men against women and makes it impossible for men to feel anything but shame if they act too feminine in front of other men he says it's quoting someone but some men are recognizing that internally they aren't nearly as strong as they think they are hmm just let that soak in for a minute. Oof. So, Stephanie, what do you think about this article? What are you? What's your end notes to put on this? What's the negative side of having more friends? Um, not a lot. It's a little more work. Yeah, it but work. I guess when I, I say that, and then immediately my brain's like, "But is it really? If it's saving you the stress of, you know." becoming three times less likely to kill yourself than as the statistics have shown, then maybe have putting in that work to find a couple extra good friends that you can be emotional with. It sounds like it's probably worth it. And what if it helps your relationship, you know, the relationship with your partner? Well, it it sounds like it would. I think it would. If that burden is removed of, of your partner being like, that has to be the backstop to all your complaints and everything. Or not even just complaints or just life. Like, yes, be open. Yes, communicate. But to not just open the hose of everything at only your spouse or partner all the time. Like, that is that is stressful. So I, w- 
I'm not a man, obviously, but if you are and you think this is something helpful, we're going to share a resource where if you want to get this started, you totally should. If yeah. if we are, there's five people listening to this and those five start a group with eight different people, that's 40 people whose lives could be impacted. Yeah. And that's that's And huge. how many families is that? How many kids are like Ooh. You could impact 200 people right there just by starting a group. This could change the world. It starts today. It starts no day but today. I had that same song in my head too. I was like, oh, we're going to hit the oh, same We're going to sing Rent again. Yes, we are. There's also the rule where you can't have a podcast if you don't bring a musical theater. 525,600 minutes. Stephanie, that was a beautifully rendered article. Good I'm, job, I'm trying to use bizarre. rendered more because mm. I watch food shows and they render fat a lot. They do. But I feel like it's also a good word to use for talking. Um, but Stephanie, thank you so much. But yeah, if you're listening to the show and you'd like more uh, resources, like the one Stephanie listed, we'll have that in the show notes below. You'll also find links to everywhere that you can find us online. We'll also have some sources for our Better Half article about Nelson Davis and uh, so you can click on that and see all the fun stuff we have below that was beautiful stephanie thank you for sharing that you're welcome i, I love like, you i think it was very timely and um i'm looking forward to kind of checking into some of those resources and sharing those with some friends but uh yeah stephanie i'm excited to come back next week and i'm excited to do another episode with you as we do every tuesday and until then do you have anything else you'd like to share we hope that after listening to this podcast, you learn that you can like each other very, very much. Very much.